Hello and welcome to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back, the podcast with me, Ewan Petrie. Each week, I'm joined by a guest who tells me all about the places in Scotland that mean the most to them and the memories and stories associated with these particular places. Then we listen to the songs that have become the soundtrack to these wonderful memories. I can't play all the songs in full due to copyright, but I hope that you enjoy the podcast nonetheless. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to it and leave us a rating and a review. You can also find us on social media. For Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia. And for Twitter, search Capture Cali. Please like and share the pages with all your friends and family to help spread the word of Capture Caledonia and to keep up with the latest news. If you would like to support the podcast to help with future episodes, you can now donate on my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash capture Cali. Any amount, no matter how small, really goes a long way. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening to this week's episode. You're listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with Ewan Petrie. This week, I am so pleased to welcome Roddy Wimble to the tracks that take us back. Roddy is a Scottish singer, songwriter and writer who is perhaps best known for being the lead singer of Idlewild. In a career that has spanned over 25 years, Idlewild have released numerous studio albums, performed all over the world and have well and truly cemented their place as one of the greatest Scottish bands to grace the global music scene. Alongside Idlewild's continued success, Roddy has embarked on many solo projects and 2021 has seen the release of his latest solo album, Low Soul, an album that further showcases Roddy's exceptional talents at turning his hand to a variety of different genres of music. Having spent large portions of his life living in various locations across the globe, Roddy now resides on the quaint idyllic island of Iona in the Inner Hebrides. Iona is a place that is blessed with an abundance of otherworldly beauty and is a far cry from the bustling metropolis of cities like London and New York, where Roddy has previously based himself. As somebody who has grown up having the songs of Idlewild and Roddy soundtracking various moments of my life, it is such a pleasure to be joined by Roddy this morning. Roddy, thank you for giving me your time today and welcome to Capture Caledonia. Oh, thank you for having me on the podcast. Now, before we embark on this week's adventures across Scotland through the choices that you've made, I'd like to take a moment to talk about your brand new album, Low Soul, which was released into the world just a few weeks ago. What was the inspiration behind this album and what's it been like releasing it into the world during these different times that we find ourselves in? Um, well, I mean, the record wasn't really intended to be a record, if that makes any sense. And that's why I think it has this kind of freshness about it, because... At the start of the lockdown last year, uh, I didn't really, uh, like like many musicians and many creative people, I was slightly at a bit of a loss about what to do. Like all my concerts and stuff had been cancelled or rescheduled. And these are the kind of the the anchors of the year, if you see what I mean. Like, you know, you're going to get you know money from them and, you know, you've got distinct plans and all the kind of creative work weaves in and out of that. So I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And uh, Andrew Mitchell is a friend of mine, plays with an Idlewild and I've worked with him on you know, a few records now. We just started throwing ideas. We'd made an EP called Everyday Sunny P, which was his kind of, uh, his like musical drones and ambient uh, pieces and me with me speaking over the top. So we just decided to kind of maybe do another one like that. And just through the course of when we realised that lockdown was going to go on for a long time and that nothing was going to get back to normal, if you want to call it that. 
for a long time as well. We just decided to kind of just morphed into a record. So, uh, and because of that, normally when I've made records, you intend to make a record. You think, right, I'm going to make an album. It's going to, it might take a year, or it might take six months, but I'm going to make a record. This had none of that. It was all done kind of like this, you know, like we're chatting on Zoom here, and a lot of it was done like that. So it was, was done, in, in, it was unlike any record I've ever made. And subsequently, it has a freshness and a sound unlike any record I've made. So that was kind of my thinking about doing it. And I'm really happy with how it's turned out. I think it's really, people seem to really respond to it. And everyone's desperate for something new as well. You know, people can't go to shows, but they can still listen to new music. Absolutely. And obviously it's quite difficult to plan ahead at the moment with any certainty, but have you got any plans or, or hopeful plans to take this album on the road and, and share it with people um, in that capacity? Well, all my concerts, some from last year, have been rescheduled to this year. So they all start, they've, and then they've been rescheduled again. Yeah. I think we're into sort of the second rescheduling of them. <laughs> They kind of start in October, September, late September, October. So um, I'm, you know, relatively optimistic they might happen. If not, I guess they'll be rescheduled to, to 2022. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't envy being an agent currently. All the agents are just constantly having to reshuffle things and reschedule things. It must be quite, quite uh, soul destroying. Now we're going to listen to one of the tracks off the album. Do you mind introducing the track that we're going to listen to and giving us a brief background to what inspired this particular song? Um, well, we've chosen Take It to the Street, which is a song that um, has been lying around, not lying around, that makes it sound like it's a throwaway, but like, you know, the ideas have been there for quite a number of years, the bass line, the melody, um, and it just, it never fitted in any record, it was tried, we tried it for the Deluder, we considered it for interview music, um, the last Idleworld record, it, it was an idea that Lucci, um, Luciana Rossi and me had come up with, but this record, it, we, it seemed to really fit. And Andrew reworked it a lot and we rewrote the words. And yeah, so it's got kind of a bit of a history, really, this song. It's been around for a wee while. Uh, I just like it. I think the, the combination of the, the kind of groove, the beat and the vocal line and the harmonies, it's very sort of simple, but it's kind of almost like disco-esque as well. It's got the disco strings coming in on the second verse. Yeah, I like it. I can hear you coming I can hear every sound that you make Jealousy judges its own mistakes Don't give up the night trying to fight it I know the whole world is out there And I can stare at the possibilities Rolling up the sky Create that peaceful silence It could be made of magic, maybe It could be made of magic, maybe It could be made of magic If you take it to the street Complicated sunset you're under We say good evening to each other I Put the coffee cup in the corner Put the Eric Rama film back on I'd find 
briefly there about plans that have been rescheduled and one of these was also the 25th anniversary tour of Idlewild being together. Um, obviously being in that band over the years you must have experienced so many wonderful adventures and, and memories. When you sit here now and you reflect on those times what are the what are the moments that sort of jump to the forefront of your mind and, and seem to stick with you over the years? Um, well I'm not there's not one particular moment because it's you know it's a quarter of a century, so it's a long time, and there's, we, we did we did so much in that time, um, travelled so many places and met so many people. So when I focus on it, I actually wrote wrote it down in a book. We put a book out called "In the Beginning There Were Answers," which is 25 years of Idlewild. So it's a book. Um, I did the text, and there's lots of photographs. And actually, in that the, the process of doing that made me kind of because I always kept diaries and I always took a lot of photographs. So uh, you know, I, I'd archived the whole the whole whole journey of the band well so I put it put it down into this book for the 25th anniversary um, I mean I think that the highlight for me is just the sort of the fact that you know we've remained creative and remained interested in working together uh, and I think all the experiences that we had in those years have contributed to that you know all the shared collective experiences that we've had that have made us carry on be creative and adapting as well we adapted well to all the changes like Spotify and you know, the label system kind of collapsing and the music industry totally changing from when we started in the 90s. So we were able, we were an adaptable bunch of a group of people and that, that, that kind of made us um, the band that we, 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 we are, you know. Um, so no one highlight. I mean, certainly things like, you know, recording in Los Angeles or touring with R.E.M. or Pearl Jam or, you know, spending all the time in the Highlands writing songs and all these, there's loads of bits and pieces that, you know, pop out. But um, ultimately what, I'm so I'm most proud of is the fact that we've main, remained creatively interested in each other. Yeah, you mentioned there recording songs in the Highlands, and I think that links really well into the fact that we're going to go on to talk about a few places in Scotland that, that hold some special memories to you. So do you mind revealing the first place that you've chosen to talk about today and why you've chosen this particular place? I'll start with Carnoustie, because that's that, that's where I principally where I, I, I did move around a lot, but I, I principally spent a lot of time growing up there. I lived there for eight years of my sort of childhood. I moved away when I was like uh, nine, 18, 19. 
what was it like um, growing up in Carnoustie? And is this where you developed your musical interests or did that happen elsewhere? No, I, I mean, I, I had sort of two spells. That, I don't know if you know where Carnoustie is. It's like it's on the east coast of Scotland, um, just north of Dundee. Um, my, my parents are all done. My family are all Dundonians. A lot of my family uh, are from Carnoustie, actually. Are they? Yeah. Well, it's like, a, it's you know, it's quite a nondescript small Scottish town. There's many of them up that coastline. Um, used to be quite touristy, not anymore. You know, it's very local, quite community oriented. And obviously it's got the North Sea right there. You know, this big vast kind of horizons that you get in the East Coast of Scotland. So it's a kind of sleepy place and a quite a good place to grow up, really. Um, not much happens, so you have to make it happen yourself. Um, I'd moved back there. Um, I'd lived there from eight to about 13 and I moved to America. I lived in America for two years. And it was in America that I had my kind of musical epiphany and discovered punk rock and formed my first band and, you know, all those kind of things. So I moved back to Christy at the age of 15. I wanted to form a band again. And I soon, you know, it took me a year or so to find, to make some new friends and that were into the same sort of thing. And my musical motives had changed a bit. I discovered these records, these different kinds of records. And my friend Graham and I would pour over these different records by people like Nick Drake and um, I'm trying to think, you know, R.E.M. and The Catchers and The Velvet Underground. Um, you know, we discovered this kind of pastoral sort of pop music that we wanted to make. And that's what our band, we had a band called Hair Shirt. Um, and that's what we kind of did. We, we rehearsed in my bedroom and I played the drums. I was a drummer. Michael Angus sang, Graham played the guitar and Craig Burst was on bass. All We all lived in the same street. And we'd, you know, rehearse from about, you know, we always had to stop at 10 o'clock. My mum was, was really encouraging, but she was like at 10 o'clock, no more drums and stuff. But, well, you know, the kind of music we were making in those kind of, in the small town environment in the house, in a bedroom, a very much of a bedroom band, uh, recording things in a four track. I played with brushes, so it wouldn't be too loud. All the amplifiers were quite quiet. I had a kind of quiet feel. And the song I chose was Pale Blue Eyes by the Velvet Underground, because we used to cover that. Ah. We never were really a band that were much into covering other bands. We always wanted to write our own stuff. But that was one song that we covered. And in many ways, it dictated the sound of, of our group. Um, we wanted to write songs like that. And yeah, so that's that's why I chose it. It really reminds me of Kronisti and that whole period of like, you know, the possibilities are endless when you're young and you form a band. It's a great way of describing yourself and working with other people and sharing ideas creatively um and pale blue eyes you watch in as well it's just it's such a wonderful evocative song did you have dreams and aspirations when you were making music at that age of taking it further or were you just purely enjoying it in that moment and just using no, it as a I way mean, to connect i was never a careerist and i never approached i knew from a young age that i wanted to be an artist in some way um and i didn't know how or how i was going to do that but i, I knew that I, that was what my life was going to be I was going to be an artist of some sky. Originally, I was a, I, I was very keen on drawing and painting, and I thought I was going to go to art school and do that. And then it sort of changed a wee bit into photography, and I had an eight millimeter film camera. And I love, I've always loved movies since I was quite a young boy. So then I thought, no, I'm going to do photography or film. And then I got into playing in bands, always playing drums originally, and I just found that was such a great way of kind of harnessing all my ideas creatively. Um, but doing it with other people, which I really love doing. I love collaborative work. I love making making things with other people. Um, so no, but it was never career. I mean, like I, I remember, I grew up. You know, when I grew up, it was very much like that was not an option, especially in a small town Scotland. People just got job, normal jobs. 
no one became like you know a musician or an artist really you know it was all, and you know there was a, i remember someone telling me that i was if it, probably even a teacher that 99.9 percent .9 of all artists are unemployed i don't know where they got that statistic from and i don't know why they're going telling kids that at school but that was kind of the, the general attitude and it was i had a great art teacher at school mr walker and he was really encouraging he was very much like exams mean nothing qualifications mean nothing it's not education, you know, you, what you need to go and live and learn not, you know, that the only way to like really attain knowledge is by living and going out there and seeing the world. So, yeah, um, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I did, I did sort of think, well, maybe if my band get good, I can travel with it. So that was kind of my, my only aspirations. It wasn't like, you know, the, the whole notion of being able to make a career out of being in a band didn't really dawn on me till Idleworld were actually making a living from it. When then I would, that was like, you know, five years down the line. But certainly in Carnoustie, um, forming a band and playing, it was just pure um, creative joy, really, we were doing it for. We were just like the idea of, like I say, making something together. It sounded good. You know, like we were like, I loved records. I loved like going to see bands. And we had a band and we could like, we could make music. And that was enough. You mentioned earlier you had two stints in Carnoustie. The first mm. stint when you were obviously a little bit younger, what are the memories that stick out for you from being, I guess, in your early childhood and being in, I mean, it's a beautiful place to, to grow up. And what was it like yeah, well, having that? I moved there when I was, um, I moved there when I was eight, but I moved there from France and I'd lived in France. Um, and we had a, I had a kind of nice life in France because we had a nice house and, um, you know, it's really the warm summers and running around playing and, you know, eating all the lovely food, like the <laughs> cheese and the, all the, you know, the vegetables and the baguettes and so, you know, outside I had a kind of quite a, uh, magical kind of childhood there for a few years. So going back to Christie wasn't maybe the joy that you, well, the nice thing about it was I lived beside my grandparents. My grand, grand and granddad lived in Dundee and I was quite close to them. So I mean, I got, meant I got to see them again, but it was, you know, it was a wee bit more like, oh, we're in Scotland again. Um, it took me a wee while to kind of get used to that uh, until I made some friends, etc. But, you know, I was always a bit of a loner through all my experience moving. So I was always quite happy in my own company and still am. I don't need other people really around me to, you know, I just, uh, I'm quite content in my own room, if you know what I mean, so metaphorically yeah. speaking. Um, yeah, so it was good. I'm not like going to lie. I mean, it was, I had, a, I had a childhood that was, you know, um, I had my parents always provided, um, encouraged me. Um, it was, you know, I had everything I wanted to never really, you know, we weren't wealthy or anything, but like we were like, you know, and, and uh, you know, I was into I played football at a BMX bike, all the usual things that <laughs> boys did in the eighties. Yeah. I went fishing, total stuff like that. Like, <laughs> I didn't have a computer in like that, so it was like I read books, I loved drawing. You know, it was that kind of childhood. And then, you know, I can't really remember too much about it. Childhood just drifts by, doesn't it? Unfortunately. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, when I moved to America at the age of thirteen, that's when I, I really my, I have distinct memories from then, because much more significant things happen to you from thirteen onwards. Um, but you know, my time in Kurdistan, that first period was, you know, I just remember it as being just a happy childhood. I've got lovely memories of Kurdistan myself where I spent a part of my childhood in Alaska, uh, with my dad's work and my granny wow. lived in Kurdistan and my auntie and uncle and cousins. So we used to come back over. So I, I remember my first impression of Scotland being young was coming over to Kurdistan and, and getting to go onto the beach. And I remember they had like a children's play area down by the beach. Yeah, they, and <laughs> where did your granny live? I wish I could remember the street name. We used to go to one of the hotels a lot for lunch. I remember that down by the the the, the train uh, station. Oh, the station the, hotel. 
Yeah, because there's the bridge yeah. that goes over, and I used to love standing yeah. on the bridge and feeling the trains go. Oh sort man, of racing you're making interesting to stab me to Christie for because obviously because you don't be able to travel really. Yeah, normally my, my mom and dad still live there, so I normally go like you know quite a few times every year. I haven't been for. I love that bridge. Yeah, that's one of my favorite yeah. bits of Christie as well. But oh. yeah, the station hotel was a kind of classic. That's where you we used to go and get you know when we came of age to drink, we used to go and have pints there because it was the only pub in Christie. It wasn't kind of full of kind of nutters a few <laughs> of them that, you know a few of them were kind of like you 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 knew you were going to end up getting some bother but the station hotel wasn't like that yeah um at the west haven the bit um where you know the bit by the sea that's my favorite part that's where we used to kind of and that's now where my parents live they lived down there but i grew up more kind of in the town we had a house more up in loman drive so um yeah, yeah it's a really it's as i say it's like a such a the way the way i describe it would be pleasant yeah, it's hard to say something bad about it, but it's also hard to say something remarkable about it, unless you're a golfer, <laughs> I guess, because it's got yeah. big golf courses. But I'm not interested in golf, so. But no, the it's, fact it's, it's so, you know it's right on the coast, and you know behind it's got all the, all the arable, beautiful fields of Angus, you know the berry fields, and it's got a sort of dreamy quality. And the light's really nice as well, you know, because of the, the North Sea. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a wonderful place just to grow up, but it's quite um, unremarkable in almost every way as well. Um, but I mean, like I say, uh, at the start there, it's these kind of towns that produce kind of interesting people sometimes because you've got to make your own. If I grew up in like you know, New York or Paris or something, I wouldn't have had the same thoughts probably because I'd be <laughs> constantly surrounded by stimulus, things I could do, interesting people to look at, all that kind of stuff. In a small town in Scotland, you don't have any of that. So you dream about that and you make it up in your head, you know, so it's a good small towns always produce like interesting writers and, and artists, I think. That's actually a wonderful observation. And I think it's a lovely, a lovely image to take into listening to the song. You've mentioned it already, but do you mind formally introducing the song and we'll have a listen? Yeah, this is Pale Blue Eyes by the Velvet Underground from the third record. It's when Doug Yule joined the band. And, you know, I think it's the record sometimes somewhat overlooked to, you know, consider their first record, you know, Velvet Underground and Nico was such a landmark album. But when Doug Yule joined the band, they became like a brilliant pop band. So some of the tunes on this third record are just brilliant i mean it's my, it's my favorite Velvet underground album and i listened to it to death around that time from age 16 17 when i was playing in hair shirt my, my first band with uh, graham michael and craig um and we did cover this song and it does remind me of that whole period of my life linger on your pale blue So we've got two more places to talk about. Where would you like to take us to next? Well, next we'll go to Edinburgh because that's um, a pretty significant place in Scotland for me. That's where I am. I moved there at the age of um, 19, well, 18, going on 19, to go to university to study photography. Um, and that's where I met Rod and Colin and formed Idlewild, which, of course, was the, you know, the most important thing that's happened to me um, in my life, really, in terms of, you know, you know, creative, creatively. Um, so, I, but before that, I would always go to Edinburgh to go to concerts and go record shopping, it, much more so than Glasgow. Glasgow was somewhere I never really had. I'd, my mum and dad had friends in Glasgow and we would go and visit them. Other than that, I'd hardly been. 
And I grew up in, I was born in Ayrshire, which is obviously the other side of Glasgow, but I'd never really been in the city of Glasgow till I was, you know, old. Well, you know, in my twenties, basically. <laughs> um, so Edinburgh was the place we always went. Um, I guess it's closer to Coonerty too. And I had great record shops, a FOP, an avalanche, two great record shops. And see, I, my older sister was really into music, so she got me into a lot of music. She would take me to gigs. First gig I ever saw was in Edinburgh at the Playhouse, was the Pogues oh. um, in 1991. And uh, yeah, and then when I kind of got a wee bit older, there was a club called The Venue, which was uh, uh, behind uh, Waverley Train Station and a kind of on Colton Road. It was, it felt like, for me, it felt like it was a, one of the sort of life-changing moments when I went to a club and saw a rock band. You know, I, I was a massive fan. Like I say, I discovered all these sort of punk rock groups when I lived in America, like your replacements and Minor Threat, Black Flag, um, the Minutemen, Husker Du, you know, R.E.M., Sonic Youth. I had my sort of epiphany there. Coming back to Scotland, um, uh, you know, and realizing that a lot of these bands, a lot of them have split up or whatever, but a lot of these American bands toured in Scotland. And I was like, wow, you can actually see them in Scotland. <laughs> and they would always play in the venue. The venue was like, um, even more so maybe than Glasgow, the venue had a, because it was a good capacity. It was a sort of 300 capacity club. It, it attracted all the, it was, it was on the touring circuit. So all these bands would come and play at the venue. So we would go and see, uh, I, I passed my driving test and uh, we'd drive through um, in my mum's car load the car up with my friends who all played in my band or other bands and we just go and see any kind of band or play any American band that would play in the venue um, so I saw you know loads of great bands you know quite obscure ones like Girls Against Boys Magnapop The Posies Brainiac um, I'm trying to think of other ones yeah we'd just go and see we'd go and see anything that was American and like underground rock you know that was our thing and I just the excitement of going there I can still I get that feeling you know you would turn up um, the van, the band's van would be parked outside and the romance of the van and the idea of like traveling around the country with your friends playing music in these kind of clubs. That was, you know, my dream to do something like that. It just seems so appealing on every level. <laughs> and then you'd go in the club and it was dingy and dark and sort of perfect. It was a sort of magical kind of space to witness loud, abrasive music made by these kind of artistic looking dudes and, you know, quite often girls in the band as well. It wasn't just men, but yeah, it was just like, it was a, I wouldn't say it goes to far as it was like a sort of church, but it was that kind of experience. For me. It was like, I really felt I'd found a place that I felt like I belonged, you know, this kind of scene. So um, that's why I, the song I've chosen is uh, by um, Deus, the Belgian band Deus, Suds and Soda, which was that record, um, uh, Worst Case Scenario, was a record that um, we all loved, all me and my pals loved and listened to it a lot. Um, they had elements of lots of these bands I'm talking about, like Sonic Youth, um, Captain Beefheart, uh, The Velvet Underground too. You know, they had elements of all that and they did it in this kind of cool way. And I saw them at the venue and that's still one of the best gigs I've ever, ever been to. And it really does remind me of, even though it's a kind of, they're a Belgian band and you wouldn't associate them with Edinburgh, <laughs> that this song really reminds me of that whole period and... And that and the venue that nightclub and I because I saw that that's the only gig I've ever stage dived at. I was really <laughs> caught up in the moment when they played the song Suds and Soda, the one I've chosen. I was so and I'm not that kind of guy. I'm quite introverted and quite. I'm the kind of guy that normally stand at the back at a gig. But I was so into. I was like I, I went pushed away to the front, jumped on stage and just leapt off. <laughs> luckily, luckily a lot of my friends were you know in the kind of mosh pit where you want to call it. Yeah, did you get and caught? They caught me? 
Yeah, yeah they good. caught me. <laughs> and they were so surprised to see me above them. <laughs> I think they were a bit like, they were a bit sort of like, what is Wimble doing? Um, but, and, then they, and, so, and subsequently they started doing it. So we were all kind of jumping on each other. You it was just trend. Pure, it was pure <laughs> euphoria, you know, and, and, and it was great just to be part of that, like jumping on each other and, at the, in the venue um and we, we didn't even drink around like that we weren't it was quite innocent that way we weren't really you know i would always be driving because i was the oldest and the only one who was allowed had use of a car so and none of the rest of a drink i remember we'd occasionally paul my friend paul would occasionally buy some hamlet cigars he smoked <laughs> cigars as <laughs> when you could smoke in venues he would yeah. stand at the back and he'd like smoke a couple of hamlet cigars and, um, and on the way back, we'd get chips. It was a, a chip shop called the Deep Sea, which is still, still there. It's a really good chip shop. It's top, top of Leith Walk. We'd get <laughs> chips, and then we'd, you know, I'd drive back the sort of hour and a half to Carnoustie listening to tapes and talking about the, how good the gig was. But it was a really innocent time in that way. We weren't, like, getting steaming and then just going to, you know, jump around at a gig. We were really in, so into the music. That was kind of what we were – it was all about the music for us. You mentioned that you watched these bands unloading into these venues and getting in a in a bus and going off somewhere else and how appealing that was to you mm-hmm. and, and it looked like a dream situation. When you're then living that with Idlewild, what was it like to to experience that having sort of dreamt about doing it? I mean, it was so cool. I mean, but at the same time, it happened gradually. So it wasn't like, you know, that I'm, I'm when I'm talking in Edinburgh here, this is before I've met the guys in Idlewild. This is when we're still, I'm still living in Carnoustie and we're coming through to to the venue and I, that's when I knew I wanted to live in Edinburgh because I wanted to but you know I, ironically as I moved to the Edinburgh the venue pretty much shut down I would played there once um I, I just lost the ability to book all these bands and eventually and now it's an estate agents oh. you know but I still walk past it sometimes in Edinburgh and just think oh my god that is that place was so important to me yeah um yeah when I moved to Edinburgh um and, and formed a band you know it took us a couple of years of playing locally and before we actually, you know, got in the van, so to speak, um, that would have been 1998 by the time we did that. So by that point, it felt like, you know, it did feel magical and it felt really special and uh, I was really excited. But, you know, it wasn't like just standing in the queue at the venue, looking at the band loading and thinking, oh, I want to do that. And then suddenly that happened. It was like we worked to get to that point. But yeah, of course, it was a really um, important st- sort of stage when I realized that we were that band in the van parking outside and there was people in the queue looking at us thinking that's what looks like a cool thing to do and then watching us and getting that feeling from Idlewild particularly our early gigs where they were quite wild the crowd would and you know, the audience was generally quite young so it was, we made quite an impression on a lot of people I think that's why I still meet people now um, that were like oh you know Idlewild was the first band they saw and they were really kind of that took them on a sort of musical journey after that. They were really into music because the same way that I had that. In many ways, I guess, like being in a band, is it's, like, it's a bit like a creative relay race. Do you know what I mean? Like you're passing the baton to someone else and they're taking it and then passing it back on. It feels like that sometimes. So, And the baton I took from all these bands, I passed on to other bands. So it's like it's you're exchanging ideas, aren't you? And it's, lo- it's a lovely kind of cyclical thing that happens. Yeah, I love that image. I think it's wonderful that... You know, there's there's someone who will watch an Idlewild gig who will be inspired in the same way that you've been, and I think that's such an important thing. Yeah, and that, that should continue on as well, and I'm sure it will. I mean, obviously, it's changed a wee bit because this year it's going to be interesting because no one's really seen a show. So if you're 16, mm. you've never, you know, and you're that that or 15, 16, 17, that age when you start going to gigs, you probably haven't been to one. Yeah. So, but again, that will change music in a different way. It's, music is all constantly evolving, interesting, sort of life force, isn't it? Absolutely. 
You've mentioned the song that you've chosen, and I think we should listen to it. Do you mind saying what it was again, and we'll have a listen? Yeah, this is such and sort of ideas. Now, I must admit, I'm very excited to talk to you about your final choice because I think it's probably one of the most stunning areas of Scotland. So do you mind revealing and doing the honours for the final place we're going to today? Um, yeah, well, the last place I've chosen is the Hebrides um, because that is a pretty significant place for me. I mean, I was considering choosing the Highlands because um, creatively speaking and uh, certainly with my band, that's probably more important Um this various areas of the Highlands, one I used to spend a lot of time there as a teenager. Um, I used to go um, youth hostling with my friend and we'd go on the post buses and travel around and like kind of living our kind of, sort of Kerouac on the road <laughs> fantasies only in a post bus in, you know, Sutherland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then, you know, with the band, I started, we started playing up there fairly, fairly regularly and we wrote in many of our records, the remote part, Mornings and Promises and in houses in either one in Sutherland and one in um, then Glen Elm near, near Sky. So uh, the, I, I do feel those areas of Scotland are kind of, it's really in my music and really I'm quite, we're quite associated with that. And that's something I'm really proud of because it's such a remarkable country and remarkable part of the country. But I chose the Hebrides because, you know, personally speaking, it's been such an important place for me. Um, it's been somewhere I've come in, been coming to since I was a teenager. Um, Mull and Iona and Sky and they were Hebrides too and I've lived here for 12 years and that's changed my life completely like I've always wanted to do that I've always wanted to I'd always wanted to be chasing this thing that I wasn't really sure what it was um, wondering where I belonged I guess that's you know whether I should get too deep on the podcast when you move around a lot you have the sense of you don't really belong I, I, when someone's where do you come from i would not know no no know what to say because like i was born in airship but i'd never really lived there whatever so um the sense of belonging is something that's throughout my music as well like searching for that and when i come came here and moved here i, I mean you know we're not not to uh over i'm trying to write what the right word is i really did feel a sense that i'd found somewhere that i belonged you know belong yeah you know, i felt like so comfortable it's a difficult thing to describe i'm sure the listeners will have their own experience of that but you feel like you know this is where i want to be uh it's very uncomplicated it's just like this is where i want to be and i had that feeling when i got you know i finally got here after um you know years living in cities and traveling and um and i saw my life just slowed down in a really natural way i was like in my early 30s i had a young child and it just felt you know the right thing to do and uh, and the band had taken a break after sort of 15 years of constant activity. And, you know, I started making music with different people and, you know, started a kind of solo uh, journey, um, making music under my own name. All these sort of things came from the Hebrides, you know, from my environment that I was in. Um, so it's a really significant place for me in terms of like, you know, my sort of personal growth and, the, you know, the person I, I became throughout my thirties and into my forties, which is quite a, a weird time for anyone's life. You know, it's a real transitional time from youth to kind of, um, you're, you're leaving your sort of youth behind, and with you know, you know, you can, you can remain youthful, but you know, 
you're no longer young, so you've got to kind of adapt to that. A lot of people don't adapt to that very well. Um, and I was lucky to be in the Hebrides to adapt to that. Um, and yeah, so it's a place that, I, you know, and even the landscape and the light and the colours, the changing seasons, and, the, you know, you can see the cycles of life pass so, so clearly. Um, and you really realise what's important and you, you know, realise that not, not much is important really other than you know, just simply being, you know, and it is a good place to simply be. And um, yeah, so that's why I chose it as a significant place. I can't actually remember the song I chose though because I was thinking there was so many, it was an R.E.M. song. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Follow Me. Yeah, Follow Me from Life Rich Pageant. And that goes back to, I chose that because when I was thinking of the Hebrides, I mean, so many records that I've listened to here that I've, you know, that are significant to me. But the very first time I went to Outer Hebrides was I was like 15. I went with my sister and my mum. And I remember being on the ferry from uh, Ullapool to Stornoway. Hmm. And I had a like a Walkman, like a personal stereo, you know, with, and I had a tape of Life Rich Pageant, the R.E.M. record. Um, and I was listening, I just listened to it over and over. I think I brought two tapes with me. One was Life Rich Pageant. And I was a real fan of that, listening to music over the same thing over and over again. You know, like that's until I was totally embedded in my head and I knew all the words and knew all the key changes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember listening to Fall On Me as we approached, as we saw, you know, the Hebrides coming into view. And um, it's a great song anyway. And uh, yeah, it just really reminds me of that initial kind of introduction to the islands. If you see what I mean, I think it was the first time I'd been to the Hebrides, Hebrides anyway. Um, we'd been to Sky before, but that was the first time I'd been there. And just the sort of magic of leaving the mainland and arriving somewhere. I get that every time I, you know, I, you know, not so much in the past year, but normally I'm regularly coming and going. And every single time the boat leaves the mainland, there's that sense of like, you know, you're leaving something and it's great because if you're leaving something and going home, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of pathos to that, I suppose. Um, yeah. So I chose following me because it's not, I could have chosen a more kind of Scottish song, I suppose, but I chose that because it reminds me of the first time I traveled to the Hebrides and that feeling of, that feeling of detachment, you know, I, islands are sort of existential terrain really, aren't they? They offer sort of gift of attachment, uh, which is appealing to a creative people of any type. I absolutely agree with that. I can remember so vividly the first time that I went to actually Iona in particular, because it's become a really special place to me and my my partner, her family have spent years going there, like every summer they've gone to um, the island because her granddad actually helped set up the Iona community. And so they've All got right. a long standing connection there. And we've actually just decided um, we were there at the weekend and we're going to get married on the island in two years time. So we were checking out the new hall. And oh, yeah. it is just, I just love love it getting the whole journey as you've described it getting on the boat we were in went to Oban to Craignure drive down to Mull yeah, get the smaller boat oh beautiful and then you get you get onto Iona and it's just for me it's absolute paradise you know well the thing about Iona is it's like it's the edge of everything you know like it's that second boat that I think makes you feel because like I say you've got that sense of detachment from the first boat yeah. uh, and or any boat like if you're going to any island but it's that extra boat that extra step <laughs> it makes you feel really like far away in a lovely way What's and you know over, over that over my wall there that is just you know like the atlantic the next thing <laughs> is so yeah it's a very special place the, the new hall is very interesting because that was like the old hall was amazing don't you ever went to the old hall 
I've, I've, I've I didn't, but I've heard a lot of stories. Oh my god! Well, it was once voted that the the they used to have these, the discos were legendary. <laughs> it was once voted the best and one of the best night outs you could have in the UK in the Independent <laughs> um, newspaper because obviously the journalist had gone to a, a party and realised, oh my god, this is amazing. They just never ended. Yeah, and like you know, it was it was all the locals operating the lights, and the, you just you took a short DJ and <laughs> it was just like cans and a bucket. It was just like, amazing. You could just. So that's why I had my all my teenage epiphanies there in terms of like in the summer we'd come up and I'd camp and we'd go to the parties there and it was amazing. So when you know we put on a music festival in the old hall um, for four years and we got great like Idaho played and Frightened Rabbit played and um, King Creazo and who else Optimo came up and DJed. It was like we had wow. a really great because it, it was a, just a little wooden room essentially in the middle of nowhere and people just came to it and just had the best time. So, you know, they knocked the whole hall down because it was full of asbestos and it was past its, you know, best, obviously the floor was kind of going and they got this, um, they raised two million pounds, yeah. kind of amazing. And they built this new hall. It took a few years to build, but it's incredible. Yeah. Beautifully designed. And I can't wait to kind of, when we can start using it, the community can start using it and we can put on the music festival again and start doing things with it because it's a, a completely different space for the island compared oh. to the old hall was like a Hebridean hall, you know, like <laughs> a sort of a trough for in the men's, you know, toilets, <laughs> yeah. you know, not, you know, just totally basic. <laughs> this, you know, a kettle, you know, like, and one hob kind of thing in the kitchen. This one's like incredible. It's like two huge rooms and like a proper catering kitchen and a bar. And so it's quite big for an island sort of this size. So, be interesting to see how it's used by the community, but already like, you know, um, it's got a proper film projector, like so you can sh yeah, show huge. film, we can have a cinema <laughs> there, we, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm quite excited about the prospects and the creative prospects of what that brings for the, for the island. I love that the stage is made out of the wood from the old hall as well. I thought that was a yeah. lovely, a lovely touch. That's cool. And the, and the, and the um, in, in it, you'll see the, the, the piece of glass. That was the, that was the door of the old hall. Yeah, it, so, it work. It does look beautiful in in the way that they've put it into the new sort of they've sort of embedded it into the wall almost on that side. Yeah, and yeah, they have. Yeah, it's, it's really lovely. Interesting speaking to to people who live on the island about the first lockdown because apparently it was just utter paradise. The weather was beautiful, and you know you didn't have the the hustle. I guess yeah, of people coming in. It was kind of weird. I mean, like um, they were calling it. They were joking in Mal that Iona was like a leper colony because no one was allowed to leave or no one was allowed to go on to. <laughs> For like six months, basically, yeah. only, only delivery delivery trucks, or if you wow. had like a doctor's appointment or something, you know, serious. But no one left. So <laughs> I was here for like, and I, as I say, I, I'm used to leaving every couple of weeks. Yeah, and I was like, didn't leave for six months, and it yeah. was kind of amazing because of the weather. Yeah. yeah, the weather was like April, April and May. May's normally quite a good month in Scotland, anyway. This May wasn't very good, but yeah, um, last year it was like it's sunny every day, and there was no one about. Oh, well, there's 120 people live here, so there was, I guess, 120 people. But you never saw anyone because everyone was like, take, you know, like in the lockdown, first lockdown, no, it was a bit of an unknown for everyone, wasn't it? So everyone was taking it so seriously, rightly yep. so, and not leaving their house unless they had to, you know. So, but in Iowa, of course, you can just leave your house and walk into the wilderness and not see a soul. So that's what I was doing every day. I would be get, I'd just get up and just walk, and I just covered every single corner of the island over those two months. Swimming in the sea, sunbathing, reading, writing, you know, I just felt like, and nothing, you know, nothing, it wasn't like, no guilt of thinking I should be doing this. I was thinking, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do anything. 
Yeah. Um, and when the government subsidies came, you know, like all creative, creative people, self-employed people were a bit anxious to begin with mm. about that. All their work had gone and they had no money. But when the government subsidies came in the grant scheme, that was a, such a relief. And then, then I really felt, wow, I, I just, I actually am getting paid to, to stay here. Yeah. You know, and it felt quite an easy thing to do, you know, and it was a nice place to, to spend a, a global pandemic. And it still is a nice place. I mean, there's still a global pandemic. It's remarkably busy now yeah. um, compared to what it was like a month ago. It's really like you're quite, quite surprised to see how many people are coming over to the island. But I guess it's because you, lots of people can't go other places they would normally go. So thinking, let's give Scotland a try. So um, you're, you, are, I, you are seeing quite a lot of, as well as all the local families that you mentioned, there's a lot of other people that um, I've never, you know, knew to the island. You're not from around here. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a beautiful part to come. And, you know, you talk about some of the beaches there, some of the most beautiful beaches I've seen anywhere in the world. I've traveled a lot uh, and I've never seen anywhere as beautiful as Scotland. And the, uh, the islands, the, uh, the Scottish islands hold a particular type of charm. They're all different from each other. Um, and I would, yeah, I think if you've never been to one of the Scottish islands, then you should definitely go to them because they are. Uh, my favourite is probably Call. I own a, obviously, top of the list probably because I know it so well, but Call is a bit of a gem. It's a bit like I own it only with less people and less tourists. <laughs> just before we listen to the REM song that you've chosen, I just want to take an opportunity to say thank you so much, Roddy, for coming on the show, chatting to me about these places in Scotland. It's been a lot of fun to, to delve into your memories of, of these locations. Cool, so yeah. thank you. Thank you. Listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with you and Petrie. Thank you so much for listening to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe and to leave us a rating and a review. Please also go on social media and like and share the pages with all your friends and family. A little reminder that on Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia, and on Twitter, search Capture Cali. Go on like, share, post, comment about it, and help spread the word of Capture Caledonia. If you want to support the podcast, remember you can go onto my Buy Me A Coffee page, www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Capture Cali. Any amount that you can afford to donate to support the podcast will really go a long way and help to ensure that we can keep the podcast going in the future. Thank you so much for your continued support, and I look forward to seeing you next week.